Mini episode 1606 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1606. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris coming at you. And we have one of our favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries here today. Coming back on the show, our good pal from the Queen's Chronicle and uh, many other fine outlets in the New York area, our great buddy, Lloyd Carroll, FDH Lounge dignitary extraordinaire, to talk about, uh, as he has in the past, we've had him on in the past to talk about uh, things with Donald Trump, who uh, hails from the same backyard as him, uh, and also uh, politics. And we're going to get into a kind of a general state of the 2024 presidential race at this point. But everything at this point, all roads lead to Mar-a-Lago. If you want to talk about the things that are on the tips of people's lips here, we have an unprecedented indictment of a former president of the United States, present president of the United States, if you're talking to Kari Lake and some of these other folks here. Uh, but uh, be that as it may, and uh, she was apparently giving an interview to someone the other night from Mar-a-Lago uh, where she uh, posited that uh, he could perhaps serve from prison, if need be, uh, as the next president of the United States. But uh, we'll be getting into all that and much, much more with our, our great pal, FDH Lounge dignitary Lloyd Carroll. Lloyd, Great to have you back on, and uh, I know you got a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, your position on the spectrum, probably not too far off from the Lincoln Project as far as being a uh, never-Trump Republican, and uh, I know you must have some real thoughts on what's going on now. Well, yeah, it's a funny thing on the, never, the Lincoln Project. Probably, yeah, I get it because I'm a kind of a disaffected Republican, but this goes, I'm not really a Trump hater. I want to make that very clear. Uh, I'm not happy more with the direction of the party than I am with with Donald Trump, uh, who always sounds kind of entertaining, even. <laughs> I always wonder, like, we're both pro wrestling fans. Even, to, even when he played President Trump, I always wonder how much that was wrestling heel stuff versus how much he really felt you know, a conviction in what he was doing. Uh, see, Ron DeSantis actually believes this stuff. That's the difference between the two. Well, here's the thing, though, and I say this as somebody who is a relatively newly minted nihilist. Formerly a Rand Paul Republican, but uh, look, him uh, kind of going hoaxer during the pandemic uh, kind of killed my faith there. So I, I've basically moved on to nihilism, that basically like nothing matters because it's only going to keep getting worse and worse no matter who's in there. And I, I do find uh, that I think the spiral of things has accelerated under Biden uh, in the last two years plus. I do believe that. I'm still on the right. I still hold the theories that I hold, but uh, I, I don't... For, for me, uh, there's there's no waiting for Superman. There's, there's nobody that's going to answer the bell that's going to be able to make things better. We have reached idiocracy like in that movie, and uh, it, it may take uh, really hitting rock bottom as a society from my point of view. I mean, optimistically, five or ten years from now, I think it could take longer than that because I think the idiocracy has really taken hold. I say that to say this, that normally, again, like back when I was for Rand Paul or anybody else previously, it would be a matter of, like, state where I'm coming from and, like, put that uh, bias of mine aside as I'm processing the analysis. I don't have anything to have to put aside right now. That's that's the nice thing about basically believing in nothing as far as things <laughs> ever getting better, is you don't have a bias to put aside if you're completely fatalistic about things. But this is one of these things where it's interesting to me that there's been some analysis, even from the center left and in some points on the left, uh, in looking at this indictment of Trump, that uh, when you compare this to the one in Georgia, where, again, I think it's pretty cut and dried as far as election interference and things like that, this thing here, for this to be the first case to go forward, uh, I, I think is probably, to be honest with you, advantageous for Trump and not as advantageous for anybody that doesn't like Trump, because 
I, I think the, the, the whole weakness of the case here, the fact that they didn't even name a crime on this, like, I think we all know that he did uh, things that were uh, unethical in this case and perhaps even illegal. Uh, I, I'd be willing to stipulate that. But as far as felony level, like compared to the stuff that Bill Clinton did to cover up his uh, affairs that he'd had and everything like that, like not to do whataboutism, but I'm just saying, I think that some of the other cases out there, if a January 6th thing gets pursued against him, the case in Georgia about election interference, I think that there are much stronger cases down the pike. I think he might have lucked out on this one being the first indictment. What are your thoughts? Alvin Bragg is completely inept, uh, and I agree with your, uh, okay. you know, with your treatise on this. Uh, the only thing that I'm beginning to wonder is if there's even ever going to be a trial. See, New York, New York cases are backlogged so badly that Trump probably wouldn't be wouldn't be on trial till 2030 if this even took place because it really is kind of minor. Uh, having said all that, so I, I'm beginning to wonder if. If, Bra if Bragg was basically doing dirty work for Jack Smith under the guise of, oh, yeah, we have our own independent investigation, like suddenly David Pecker is coming out of the woodwork. Who right. knows? This may go stuff beyond, you know, with the Stormy Daniels. I, I get the – I just get the feeling that this is a smokescreen, that for what it's – again, I can't prove it. Uh, so as I feel like Bill Maher here, I, where he says, uh, I can't prove it, but I know it's true. I, I just, something just doesn't smell right about the whole thing. Well, and yeah. you're right what you said. It just doesn't smell like we really got him on the good, we, we really got the goods. I've seen Rachel Maddow get more excited about her, her theories of how we got the scoundrels now than the way they did MSNBC talking about this. Well, yeah, and that's the thing where, by the way, and as, as far as, the role of the National Enquirer in this and the whole catch and kill with the stories here, uh, David Pecker being the key guy behind that. Obviously, I think we're all just waiting for confirmation that they've gotten him to flip on Trump because of the inevitable New York Post headline that will come from that. The pres President Trump has a Pecker problem. <laughs> you know, that's what we're all waiting for. Ironically, it's funny. I met David Pecker a few years ago at a CBS holiday media party. I got a, got a kick out of it. Turned out we both had something in common, kind of deep skeletons in our personal lives. We're both CPAs in a prior, <laughs> in a prior life. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, and that's, uh, that, that is going to be big if uh, they do get him to flip on him because he was such a close ally of him and somebody who was instrumental in the whole thing here. But again, yeah, I mean, it, you'd think that if they had a stronger hand, they'd be showing it in these papers here. And this is one of these things where you already have a lot of people who are, are going to believe no matter what that all of this is, uh, no pun intended, trumped up. And as far as uh, the Democrat machine being out to get him and everything like that, as always, these things are won and lost in the court of a public opinion with the independents and the people that could kind of go either way. And again, Trump has really been kind of poisonous with independence, not just in 2020, but of course in the off-year elections of 2018 and 2022, and to a degree that we don't tend to remember, 2016 as well, because Trump well, uh, had he yep. supersized his base in 2016 and in 2020, and uh, that's why he's doing the whole base strategy the whole way here is that uh, he never, uh, and he openly, this has never happened in our lifetime, of where anybody just uh, aspired to be president of their base. He was president of Red State America. That's a problem. And that is a problem that goes, like I said, this goes beyond Donald Trump, because I'm not a Donald Trump hater. As a matter okay. of fact, I think Donald Trump is his own worst enemy. If if he had simply said, kind of what you're still, we're saying here, if he had said, guys, look, they're going for oldies but goodies. I may not be a saint, but come on. Who really believes this is a, 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 federal, a, a federal case, uh, a felony? Who really believes that? If he just said that at Mar-a-Lago, that would have been it. The way Ronald Reagan would have laughed it off. Come on, guys. Right. And if he just said that, guess what? The Democrats are on their heels, and he's in business. Yeah. But instead, he can't help himself. By the whole litany of complaints, people don't want to hear that anymore. The whole, the whole rally stuff. What may have worked in 2015, come down the escalator, just like pop music tastes change. I get the feeling people don't want to see the same act eight years later. And, uh, and particularly after what happened on January 6th, even though this is not exactly related to January 6th, it just kind of poisoned the way we, can, we may look at it. What I agree about your nihilism, 
is what is going on to be the cable television. Right. When you watch Fox News, Newsmax, yep. OAN, MSNBC, trying to pull, you, use their playbook for the left, that we are rather thinking of ourselves as Democrats and Republicans than as Americans. And I think this is incredibly dangerous. Yes, we can always have our favorites, but when push comes to shove, and I've seen this again with the, um, uh, even the way we look at Putin, I, I, it boggles my mind how many right-wing Republicans would would pray would say I'd rather have Putin be our president than Joe Biden. Now I'm sorry we could have. I'm not saying Biden's great, but he sure as hell is not Vladimir Putin. I mean, we need a sense of reality here. We I never growing up I never had. I mean, you had Everett Dirksen, a Republican, would go to LBJ. Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan, that there was certain professional respect. Let's put the country's needs first. And we can disagree on other stuff, but it just seems like we've lost that in this country, and we're not going to be a great country unless we get that back. Well, yeah, and that's the thing, too, where, uh, again, a lot. it's so funny because a lot of the stuff Trump is tapping into, and I, and I agree with you about his basic insincerity on a lot of the stuff, just kind of using it, because, you know, as somebody who had for a long time I describe myself as a Heartland paleocon. I had always believed that going more blue collar uh, and and not being you know so free trade and not being so uh, adventuristic overseas with the military that that would be the way to go. Now again, Trump sort of veered all the way into protectionism, has veered into isolationism, as you're seeing with a lot of the Ukraine rhetoric recently here. So and it's a Putin bootlicking. Let's uh, let's call like after Helsinki. And again, not trying to dump on him, but even. You know, just I'll see you 2018. I can't think of Ronald Reagan's turning over in his grave when I saw that. Well, and the thing of it is, is that post George W. Bush, this is a thing where I, I would have looked at on paper a lot of the stuff uh, Trump is doing as being uh, better for the Republican Party. But I say that as a guy who voted third party both times and almost certainly will in 2024 because I think the way he's going about it has has not been good, and the fact that he is as poisonous personally and as poisonous to the independence as he is the fact that you still have people now of like like you know if trump just wouldn't do this like there were people that were like i can't believe trump's going after desantis i like them both like what makes you think donald trump gives two craps about if you like desantis he selfishly doesn't want anybody to get the nomination but him and i got news for you he'll be a third party spoiler to get the Democrats reelected, if DeSantis is able to get the nomination from him, which I think is more unlikely uh, at the moment now, because I think DeSantis is really on his heels. I think Trump uh, really kind of put him in his place repeatedly here, and that uh, even the one or two times he tried to push back with the whole, well, I wouldn't know about paying off a porn star, the whole mountain of, like, how dare you from the Trump people intimidated him. And, and that's the thing. Yeah, he's got also, he doesn't have the gift of gab. Uh, we were talking right. about, about wrestling. He, uh, Donald Trump would have been a great wrestling manager. You right. know, Mike, he could have handled it like Captain Lou Albano or the Grand Wizard or Freddie Blassie. You could see Trump in that role. And that's one of the reasons, I think there's a book actually coming out about Vince McMahon and Trump and yep. how Trump grew up just like we did, loving wrestling and learning how to use that to appeal to the blue-collar base that, we're, that you and I are discussing. Yes. Ron DeSantis doesn't have that touch. There's, he's not, doesn't have that common person touch that Trump has uh, and doesn't explain things the way Trump does. He tries to get involved with these culture wars, but they seem insincere. Uh, I don't think it's. A, I don't think culture wars are a winning hand anyway for the GOP. And I'm, I'm saying this as an old school Republican. I uh, uh, I think we've lost sight of how to actually win elections and win the independence that you're talking about. Look what happened in that Wisconsin judge, judicial race yesterday. Democrat won, or the liberal judge won 55 percent. It was a blowout. Wisconsin, anything more than two percent one way or the other is, yeah. is a landslide. Uh, and yet Republicans are, aren't saying, "Gee, what, what happened there?" Uh, the same thing with the uh, uh, congressional races in 2022. I mean, they were lucky they were able to win the House because um, here Kathy Hochul, the New York governor, ran such an inept race. Uh, she was afraid to talk about crime. She was afraid the progressives would beat her up. Uh, that, but if you took New York out of it, it was a bad. That was a bad election for a That should have been a give me a chip shot, a layup. And nobody, nobody said, gee, you know, maybe there's some total anti-abortion thing, that may not be the way to win elections. It, they won't even discuss it. It's like, 
you always say, Rick, nothing's off the table. Yeah. That's a, that's a topic that apparently is off the table in the Republican Party. Well, you know, it, it is a thing where I, it, it, and every time this gets brought up of like, why didn't the Republicans nominate Pete Wilson back in the day or anybody like, uh, because look, the, because the base of the party is going to revolt. So you, you got to admit that part of it, Lloyd. The base of the party is people like me that are social conservatives. I'm a Midwest Roman, Roman Catholic, and that's, that's where the base of the party is. That being said, you know, my, this, is, this is my ability on this show to put aside what I believe in and where I'm at versus giving you sure. my analysis. And my analysis is that the Republicans have been on their heels ever since Roe got overturned. It has been a loser. I think they can be more effective in making a better case on it, Lloyd, but they haven't done that. And it, well, it yeah, has been a loser. Well, Democrats haven't done a better job on that either. Yeah. Because if you watch MSNBC, it's always discussed as a women's issue. Now, like, we know, obviously, women on the front lines are the ones who get pregnant, so I don't want to be flip. But they're, they're, Republicans are lucky. The Democrats haven't, at least the political action committee, hasn't said, let's appeal to men on this. Rick, do you know anybody who wants to pay child support for an unwanted pregnancy? Because I <laughs> sure as hell don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and when I was in my 20s, when I was in college, uh, getting lucky was important to me. And I think in the 20s and 30s, getting lucky is important to a lot of guys. And you know what? Anything that creates an impediment to getting lucky, like not having that row insurance, is not going to make a guy happy. Now, they're lucky the Democrats haven't done that because they're so inept and so PC. But if they did, that would really be the killer. You know, Lloyd, uh, for, for as much as I revere programs like the McLaughlin Group, you're not going to get analysis like what you just said on a show like that. You're only going to get that here. I'm here with you, Rick. <laughs> but tell me, am I factually incorrect? I know it's not PC, but did I say anything yeah, that's wrong? I mean, look, and, and to, to be honest with you, uh, the way that the Democrats are going— Again, putting on my analyst hat, I'm surprised they haven't because the, uh, the, the, the arc of things, the way that they've been going, essentially since the Obama years, has been, remember that old 60s phrase of like, if it feels good, do it? That has basically become the motto of the Democratic Party as far as this thing goes. Who are you to judge if a person wants to do this or that or whatever? And that they've gotten pretty militant in their whole definition of what they call tolerance I'm awfully surprised they haven't gone there because it's it's not moral purity that's holding them back from making the argument, Lloyd. I think you're right. I think it's just strategic ineptitude because that's where they're they are. They're, they're, the Democratic Party is inept. Listen, I'm not a Democrat, right? So I can, <laughs> as you know, I'm uh, and like I, as a as a fellow journalist, we have to call it down the middle. Uh, I mean, it, it actually, I believe that American America does better. We have a competitive two party system. But again, maybe I'm being nostalgic for the way I remember politics in the 60s, 70s, and, uh, and 80s. You know, there was a certain respect for the other party, uh, a certain let's get things done. Okay, uh, we're in charge, so it's going to be done more my way than your way. And I just, I miss that. I really do. Uh, I, I watch what happened today with Tennessee where uh, they're expelling, they tried to expel three members of the uh, state legislature. It seemed like it was just three Democrats of the, the country. I don't necessarily agree with that, but you know what? It, it, it sends, it's bad optics. Just simply outvote them and that's it. You know, that's America. I don't like seeing uh, candidates boot, or say elected officials being booted out of office unless they actually do something criminal. There's something that's very bothersome and frankly, almost looks fascist in, in the way this is being done. It's not a good view. Well, this is the thing where, I mean, Trump really sort of is the poster child for this era as far as uh, Democrats and Republicans when they have power in different areas. Like, there are no guardrails anymore, and that's the thing. You, you hear a lot of hand-wringing about that on the likes of CNN and everything like that, but, I mean, again, a stop clock is right twice a day. We don't have the guardrails on us because, again, you know, in the 70s, you don't think that there's uh, you know, somewhere in this country uh, an area where somebody could have, you know, some local prosecutor maybe could have put up a case against Nixon for something that happened when he was Everybody in Everybody could do anything. Yeah, yeah look, it certainly could have been done, but now it's going to become open season. That's actually one of the things that yeah. people have spoken about with yes. Bragg doing this. Now, right. Yahoo can try to... Uh, and I, I don't think this was really thought through properly. Again, even if... What I think that the brand, this will never go to trial, and I think this is just a, that he's just doing dirty work for Jack Smith. But just the appearance, the opticals of what we saw on Tuesday, I don't think is good. Yeah, like as an American, what bothers me about this case is this is not the case where you crack that seal. This has never happened in the history of this country, 
and this is the one? They, I mean, you, you got a case going on down there in Georgia. It looks like they're going to get to it down there. But it's a thing where, yeah, it does look like careerism on Bragg's part. And by the way, it nauseates me that what I'm saying it could be mistaken for Trump talking points here, because that's not my case at all. But I'm just saying, ironically, it's the opposite of Trump talking points. There's so much more that he's clearly guilty on that he may be getting indicted on and other things here. Better than one of those things is the first time to happen in American history, rather than an iffy case like this one that lets him discredit everything and play the martyr. No question. Look, another fact I'm surprised that Trump didn't bring up is that it's kind of come tangentially that Alvin Bragg has not done a good job prosecuting criminals. Uh, he's let a lot of, it's funny talking about felonies and misdemeanors, he's let a lot of people plea down. Uh, he'll claim it's done to for equity purposes and to make sure the jails don't get overcrowded in New York, blah, blah, blah. You know, but it's he was. He has taken so much heat before all this that if you would ask me as a betting man, if uh, he would certainly be primaried in twenty twenty five when he's up again, and I, my gut reaction when I heard about this whole Trump stuff, don't forget he had he dropped the Trump case early on. I mean, remember Cy Vance was working on it, and right. uh, suddenly it got. It got very quiet. Now, Vance is now covering for Bragg, saying that uh, it was the New York uh, Southern District, the Fetters, that were asking Cy Vance to drop everything. I'm not sure how true that is as much as it was. It looks to me like, okay, let's try to cover here for Bragg. Because I think in 2025, Bragg would have been in deep trouble in a Democratic primary. He would have... He would have gotten the Lori Lightfoot treatment. That's just my gut feel on this. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the whole thing, too. When you look at the motivations of local elected officials and everything like that, obviously being the most anti-Trump guy you can be in, in New York City is a good way to get reelected and deflect from the other issues because, yes, this is yet another prosecutor out there like a lot of the ones across the country the last couple of years uh, that have been, quite frankly, soft on crime and that have just kind of sat by and, and let you know these violent crimes just kind of go through the roof, uh, never more so than in places like Chicago, which actually just elected somebody more radical than Lori Lightfoot, but that's another story. That's the ultimate irony of this whole thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. after, after all this, although it was a pretty tight race, I mean, the, Paul Vallis only lost by three points right. in a city that, frankly, the progressive normally wins by 20. Well, but here's the thing, though, and, and this is about the ineptitude of the Republicans and the fact that with a guy like Trump in there, and again, and I think you're right about uh, DeSantis uh, not being a good messenger and everything like that. And I, by the way, I take the contrarian view on him. A lot of people feel like what you said there, like, well, he is a true believer. I look at a lot of his cynical hoaxer kind of a stuff, and, and I see him as a guy who will just say anything. I don't trust him. I might agree with him on oh, a lot so of like issues. Oh, like the way people used to talk about Nixon back well, in the day. You well, know, it, that, uh... Exactly. And, and, and he's not a guy that I trust at all. I think he's shifty uh, because of his uh, you know willingness to say anything in any kind of a situation. So I don't grant him the whole thing of like, say what you will about the man, but at least he believes in stuff. I, I think he's been successful. Well, you may be right, Rick. i got to tell you, I never thought of that, but I can see your point. Uh, he's smart enough really to know him. better on the hoaxer stuff. I mean, and it's yeah. just it's it's dangerous. It's dangerous to go out there because, again, as we know, it's a slippery slope. Now you got people not getting vaccinated for things that weren't controversial prior to this. You know, like oh, well, exactly. So you know, we could all did Fauci make mistakes on COVID? Sure, he did. You yes. know, like, nobody knew. We were all feeling our way through. But the one thing that I don't get: the vaccinations have certainly helped. Maybe they didn't cure, but it's sure. hey. You know, and so some of the real right-wing anti-vaxxers almost think they should have bumper stickers or hats saying, make ventilators great again. I mean, yeah. they just don't get that. Yeah, I don't get that either, and that's a whole thing. You don't have any credibility with me if you've been fanning the flames on any of that kind of stuff. Uh, and a lot I believe of the, in science. Well, yeah, well, I, I, and again, you know, there's there's room to reevaluate things and everything like that, but I see so little of it being done in good faith. And people like Ron DeSantis have concluded it's not in their political interest to do that in good faith, but to just go yeah, out there you're right on that. and grandstand. And I also feel that the vilification of Dr. Fauci, you know, he made, made mistakes, but I tell you, most Americans still like him. I don't think it's a smart political strategy 
to use him as a whipping boy. That's just my take on it. Uh, I could be wrong, but that's just but, my take. But here's an interesting thing, though. I mean, you look at it, and one of the most interesting parts of any of this, and one of the things we don't think about with the 2020 election, because there are so many kind of once-in-a-lifetime things that happened that year, uh, but one of the most interesting aspects to me has always been the way that the Republicans, I believe they gained in both the House and the Senate in that, and that as sure. as poorly as Trump did, Congress went the other way in that one here. Absolutely. And that, that shows me that, again, and, and this goes to everything I said, the general direction that Trump pointed the Republican Party in, and I, I think, I don't disagree with you that there's fault to be found in, in a lot of the different aspects of that, but it, the whole thing, broadly speaking, of making the Republican Party more blue-collar, more, you know, anti-Wall Street, more anti-free trade, anti-overseas adventurism, I've believed for much of my life that that was a winner. And I've been waiting to see anybody actually try that. And that's a thing where, like, Trump is the most god-awful messenger in the world, an inept man who shoots himself in the foot at every opportunity. But it's a thing where a lot of what he's tapping into, and listen, there are parts of it that are illegitimate. There's, he's tapping into some legitimate racism. He's tapping into some legitimate things like that that are just way, way, way uh, over the edge. Okay, I'm not saying that he's not, but he's tapping into enough things that are winners that the Republican Party is just inept and incompetent. I think they're a lot more inept and incompetent than the Democrats are right now because in the midterms against Joe Biden, with, with a southern border that's never been more porous, with inflation going through the roof largely because of government overspending, all these things on and on and on, the dire state of this country, the way that it is, and it looks now like the job market is finally going to you know, be, be the next part of this equation to go over the edge. Uh, again, so many things are so bad right now, and, and it's a thing when, when, when I think a lot of people were thinking during the pandemic, oh, it's going to be the roaring 20s. Eh, well, hey, not so fast. It's more like the, uh, the mid to late 70s. Uh, based on the way things are looking here with the, with an administration that seems very Carter-esque. And the Republicans can't score any points against them. How bad are they? How incompetent and inept are they at not scoring points on this administration? Give me a break. Oh, you're 100% correct. But then again, you have to look at, we're, we're living in a TV time. Who are the Republicans that the public sees on television the most? Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, uh, other yahoos, you know, the Tower of Jello, Kevin McCarthy. I mean, it's, there's no, we don't have a, I'll say we being a registered Republican of 40 years, there's not that that charismatic leader that you're going to go, hey, that, that Ronald Reagan upbeat guy that that's going to give that reassurance to the public. And as I said before, we disagree on this, but I do... Well, I think we actually agree that abortion, with how you feel about it, but certainly going that extreme uh, pre-Roe era is not a winning. Is not going to win. I also don't think cheering on Putin is a winning strategy either. <laughs> we have enough people who are getting a lot of airtime. I'd say most Republicans are cheering Putin, but we're giving too much airtime to the to the few that are. Well, and the thing of it is, is that I I, I think there is a legitimate nuanced argument to be made about seeking a peaceful resolution in Ukraine. I mean, I think there's a, but, but again, it's like the whole thing about looking back at the pandemic. There's a way to do it in good faith and there's a way to not do it in good faith. And, and nobody's doing it in good faith. Nobody is advocating. I'm somebody that would like to see uh, a peaceful resolution there as much as possible. I define myself as a foreign policy realist. And I, I don't realistically think that uh, Ukraine is, is ever going to get back uh, Crimea and everything else. And, uh, much well, less... I don't think that's the case, but I don't think that Putin is at this point saying, hey, let's negotiate. There are a couple of things that we, we might be able to find some common ground on. As you said, being realistic. Sure, but, but the thing I, like... I just don't see that even happening. But the way that it seemed like the Biden administration was going out of their way to shoot down, and, and again, and I'm not of all people, okay... Uh, because, again, I, I was for, you know, an old Pat Buchanan guy myself, I was for being tough on China long before this was part of the popular parlance. So I'm not being soft on China, but I just think it was dumb strategically. The minute that they were talking about potentially trying to broker some peace talks, like the Biden administration is, like, going in there and shooting it down. Like, I, wait a minute, this is just, 
you are giving credence to, they're, they're trying to portray Ukraine as a puppet of America. And the more you go out there and you say, that's unacceptable to us, at least let Zelensky say it. And it's not like he's not afraid to uh, go out there and, and take the most maximalist position on all of this, too. I also think as well, and, and I do get, and I, I think it's unfortunate, like you said, the way the Republicans are playing it, but they're tapping into something real. There's a fatigue in dealing with Zelensky because it's. I can say if I was in his position, I'd be doing the same kind of stuff. But as an American, I'm I'm sick and tired of hearing that we're not doing enough to help this guy. And, and somebody who's acting like we're we're being you know chicken s if we don't give him a no fly zone and things that could legitimately trigger World War Three. So it's a thing where I do feel like Biden and Zelensky are somewhat making it easier for Republicans to tap into something irresponsible here with this isolationism uh, because of the way that they're playing it. Yeah, I, I have, on the other hand, uh, Biden, I'm, I'm, disagree I'm, I'm agreeing with you, the Biden administration has not handled Ukraine well, but I think if you look at it from the neocons viewpoint, like that, it. uh, it's almost like Vietnam, well, you can't attack, you could let Russia attack you, and the Fed, if they cross your line, you could shoot their planes down, but hey, you can't, you can't give them a taste of their own medicine. So again, we can argue this seven ways till Sunday, but, but I agree with you, the Biden administration has not played this as well as they could. One way, if you want to look at it one way or the other, you're 100 right. So they're kind of caught in the middle, doing, and it's not working. Well, and and we're moving into this sort of pre-Kissinger world now, of where uh, China and Russia are coming back together here, and they're creating, and, and the world is sort of going, you know, to this whole kind of bipolar place like it was before, with the centers of gravity, uh, basically pre-1972 or whenever it was with uh, Nixon's trip to China. And it's just a thing where you have to think about how it plays with the rest of the world here. And the more you do to make Ukraine look like a puppet of the United States, which I legitimately believe it's not. It, it clearly oh, is not. not. No, Zelensky I, I has a mind of his either. own. But it's like Zelensky doesn't need the Americans to stand up there and shoot down peace plans for him. I just think that's stupid. Because uh, that may have been a blunder. I, 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 I didn't. I get it. If... Uh... Yeah, hey, look, let's always hear what the other guy has to say. We don't like it. Say sorry, thank you, but no thank you. Sure. I don't see the harm in it. Well, just strategically, right? It makes sense to take exactly. a look at no, something. I agree. Listen, uh, you play the cards that were just for PR purposes. I actually agree with you. That's that's what I'm talking about. PR as results with the rest of the world, just so it, it, it doesn't play as much into their whole storyline about how the West is trying to take over Russia. But, you know, in all of these different ways here, uh, again, it is a shame to me, I do agree, that that's where the Republican center of gravity seems to be, is I think going too far on questioning the Ukraine stuff. Again, you know, in culture wars America, you're going to have that. Meanwhile, on the other side, it's getting to be more and more interesting that Biden now potentially delaying announcing until maybe fall, they're saying. So, I mean, is is he getting the sense that there might be other ones getting ready to to jump in here? Because it's very interesting to me. Uh, as somebody that yeah, is, is, you know, as a political I, I maybe worried about Marianne Williamson. No, I'm just well, kidding. Uh, well, yeah, or, or RFK Jr. Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, there you go. Which, I, they're probably doing him a favor by making him look stronger. I always say when you have non-entities coming and trying to compete with you, they're actually doing you a favor. Well, yeah, and, and that's a thing where... You know, in looking at this, as I mean, as somebody who is a political junkie, one, one of the rabbit hole things I had fallen down on YouTube previously was, and you might be interested to see this, I think it was WNBC, it was WNBC in New York, 1978 election night. Somebody went and chopped it up. It's all the national stuff and all with the local cut-ins too. So I think like Chuck Scarborough and some of the ones doing the local cut-ins, but in looking at it during the night, it was very, very interesting because they were talking about it. It was a better night than expected for the Democrats, but particularly in, in light of the climate that was there. Really, bring my whole 70s, 20s analogy into clear focus. But they ran right. a, a poll at one point, and they asked an advisor to the president about this, that like two-thirds of voters didn't think Carter should run for re-election. This was still in November of 78 before things got really bad. For, 70, yeah, 79. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so it's like the, 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 the comparisons are there. Like, just because the Democrats did well in the midterms doesn't necessarily mean that the president is on solid ground. Joe Biden uh, only benefits from who he's compared to in terms of Trump, which is why, again, a cynic might look at this and say, knowing that these prosecutions will only prop up 
uh, Trump with the Republican base here. I mean, it's easy to smell the hand of Joe Biden in this. It might make me a conspiracy theorist, but like he doesn't want to run against DeSantis because DeSantis doesn't carry the baggage of Trump. Now, Trump may burn him to the ground, may, may call him pedophile Ron enough times that it sticks with people. Well, he said if Trump runs as a third party, then that uh, yeah. then everything can go you know, wackadoo, so who knows? True. Well, you know, that's true. I agree with you. Biden versus DeSantis one-on-one uh, would be a tough, that's going to be a tough battle. Uh, although DeSantis has not done himself any favors outside of Florida. Now, the Florida Democratic Party, as I said, is the New York Jets of politics. Cool. Uh, so, you, you know, the fact he won by a... By such overwhelming margin, and can just snap his fingers uh, and do what he wants. You know, I think that's because the Florida. They, it's funny. Even my Democratic friends never say, never blame their inept party leadership under Manny Diaz, now under Nikki Fried, that they've gotten so pathetic so fast. <laughs> you know, I tell you, maybe Jimmy Haslam should be hiring them. There's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it just—it's just absolutely amazing that you know the DeSantis has done well, but you have to look at the other team. It's, we don't live in a vacuum. True, but it's one of these things where I—I I, you know, living in Ohio, which has gotten redder over a period of time, there are probably people who make the similar comparisons to uh, the Ohio Democratic Party, and uh, again, well, I can't... Well, yeah, although Ohio has always been more going for Robert Taft. I mean, they've had John Glenn and Metzenbaum, uh, uh, but those are the, kind of the exceptions to the rule. It's always been thought of as kind of like Indiana Republican territory. Uh, Florida had always been the classic bellwether state. Once while Democrats got lucky, I think Carter won, and Obama won the state by narrow margins, but as a rule... Uh, Ohio has been Republican. It's always been, I, I always felt, kind of old-school Republican that you had, uh, like your guy Mike DeWine there, kind of not exactly a Trumper, you know, it's kind of that old, classic, John Case, a good example, you know, kind of a, a Republican who didn't scare Democrats. Well, a Republican who stands for nothing like most of the Republicans this state is elected to statewide office. Well, there you go. You know, <laughs> but I, my, my point, though, in bringing up Ohio is, in looking at this, because, again, uh, we talk about the things on this show that we know the best. I live in Ohio. I know it better than any other state. Look, Obama carried Ohio when he was president. Clinton carried Ohio. Ohio, I think history is shrouded a little bit for you here, Lloyd. Ohio, I think, is more was more of a bellwether than you're remembering. And I think Florida the same. I think the demographics in the states are changing. So as easy as it is to pile on the Democratic parties in those two states there, Iowa, remember Iowa used to be uphill for Republicans, and now Republicans are, are, are presumptive favorites in Iowa in presidential yeah, elections. No, so Tom I, Harkin. Iowa used to be Republican, but it was always kind of a but, pro- but, more of uh, kind of a progressive. Hart- yes, Tom Harkin. It was not a real super conservative Republican Tom, place. It wasn't like Nebraska was. Right. Tom Harkin had a powerful machine there that really shaped that state for several decades. I mean, Iowa was, and maybe it's as simple as Tom Harkin not being in the picture anymore. Maybe it's one man's ability, to, you know, to, to carry yep. something off as long as he's on the scene. But Iowa's demographics have changed. The demographics of many states have changed over a period of time. And I think, again, for as much as uh, DeSantis wants to do victory laps, and again, anybody would in his position, about how how big he won by, I mean, so much of that is basically the way that the demographics of the state have changed. And then the other thing, too, of the degree to which Trump has reshaped the Republican Party. He has done it in ways that, uh, you know, again, I know you you find odious in a lot of ways. I find on on some of the issues to be an improvement over where they were with George W. Bush, as low of a bar as that might be. But it's a thing where, you know, it it just, again, DeSantis, I I agree with you. I mean, he's he's punching against pygmies there in Florida. I I don't, I don't, but that's, that's been their ability to like, you know, generate candidates too. And Charlie Crist is what's passing for you know, the lifeblood of the Florida Democratic Party, then you know you're in trouble because that guy sucked even as a Republican back in the day. So Yeah, he doesn't excite anybody. I'm sure he's a nice gentleman, and uh, but he doesn't excite anybody. You no. Know, no one's going to go knocking on doors for Charlie Crist. Well, I mean, he's as phony as a $3 bill anyways. So, I mean, there is that part of it as well. But on the Democratic side, again, you know, this thing of like Biden putting off uh, and announcing, it's one of these things where it's like, the, the, the thought kind of goes to, like, well, what is he afraid of if he's trying to freeze the field here at this point? 
because, again, Gavin Newsom saying all the right things, I'm not going to run, I'm not going to do this, whatever. As I understand it, he's going to make a political visit down to Florida in the near term here. So he's still trying to build his brand nationally. There's enough Democrats that are. So it's one of these things where you have to wonder just what the story is, uh, because, yeah, again... well, Newsom is the Democrats' best bet if it's not uh, Joe Biden. Let's be blunt on it. He's California's big state. He's a good-looking guy. Uh, speaks well. Yeah, people talk about the fact that he yeah, was a hypocrite with uh, COVID and he had that part. That, that, that's, I don't think that's going to really have legs. I don't think, you know, for what it's worth. Uh, uh, and, he, and I'll say this for Newsom, he's not a wimp. He doesn't speak in PC bromides. He's willing to call a rake a rake and uh, uh, be willing to throw a punch and take one. So I will give him that based on what I've seen. Well, and, and I will say this too. I mean, and again, maybe the rules have changed nationally as far as you know, with, with Trump, with DeSantis. I mean, those are those are guys that again uh, don't even look like they're trying to reach the middle. So may, maybe that's a thing of like the ability to even do that or try to uh, is uh, maybe that's a bygone thing here. Although Biden in the general election was trying that an awful lot, but it's a thing where. I'm going to go back to, and again, this was kind of an underrated point I was making at the start of the Biden administration when everyone was talking, wow, Joe Biden, classic moderate. And I was like, no, Joe Biden was was the classic sort of mirror of wherever the party was at any given point in time. So like in the 80s, with the rise of the Democratic Leadership Council, the, the party being chastised about you know, where it had gone under Carter and with Reagan's ascendancy, and then Clinton in the 90s, he was tacking toward the center of gravity. Joe Biden is the classic center of gravity Democrat. The center of gravity had tacked far left by 2020. So I predicted that economically, social issues, whatever, uh, it was probably going to be a lot of the same here. Keep the moderate image, of course. But basically, I didn't see him standing up to the AOCs of the world. He hasn't. I think that has had a lot to do with the way that uh, public policy has been. She hasn't executed. done much. I mean, to be fair, it's not like she's been out there front and center. She hasn't uh, had to, dude. Uh, she's winning with the Biden policies. She's getting her way, is my point. So it's a thing. And Gavin Newsom, listen, Trump couldn't make it stick on uh, because again, he, he's he's uh, he, people build him up like he's King Kong as far as like being able to find people. That that I think only works in the Republican Party and with Hillary Clinton. The, those are those are isolated instances. Against Joe Biden, he couldn't make it stick. He was trying to make the case that Joe Biden was going to be a tool of the left and people weren't believing it. Harmless old grandpa. Uh, that brings me to my point on Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom uh, you don't have to worry about him being a tool of the left. Gavin Newsom, as you sort of made the point there when you're talking about, you know, taking the strong stances he does, Gavin Newsom is very much a man of the left. And with left policies having been instituted since Biden came in on the border, on federal spending leading to uh, uh, inflation, all these things here that we've seen, again, maybe we've moved past oh, somebody has to be able to cater to the middle of the country. Maybe we've moved past that. Maybe Trump has proved that or DeSantis might prove that. But Gavin Newsom is every bit as vulnerable in his own way as a man who's way out on the left. Uh, yeah, 100% correct uh, on that. I, I also want to throw one name before I forget, because uh, we're always talking about DeSantis versus Trump. And, you know, and look, Nikki Haley's an entity, and uh, whoever some of the, the fringe candidates are, I'll be curious to see what Chris Sununu of New Hampshire does. There's a guy who's interesting to watch. I watched him on Bill Maher uh, last week. Very, he's got charisma, can laugh at himself, can work with Democrats. And uh, I know this will probably go over real well with the base. Uh, Pro-choice and pro-LGBTQ rights. Now, kind of more of the libertarian side of things. Uh, I think he's an interesting guy to watch. I think there is a lane. I know that you never hear of this, but I do believe there's a lane for a pro-choice Republican. I, I, it sounds like an oxymoron, but I do feel that there is that silent, I don't know it's a majority, but <laughs> I, I would say a silent, sizable base that wants to see that. All I can say, dude, is when you talk about that there's a lane for a pro-choice Republican to get the nomination, all I can say is living in Brown's country. You sound like a Browns fan of, of much of my lifetime. <laughs> well, I, I didn't this say is the that year. I like the get the nomination, but I do feel 
Look, I go back maybe 1980 when John Anderson was running in the Republican primary. That, you know, you can get at least a, a, res, a respectful percentage that can keep you in the game for a while. I mean, that, that that's all I'm saying. I don't want to say he's going to win. I just want to say right. at least a respectful percentage. Right. I mean, that's not where the center of the gravity of the party is. Oh, we know uh, that. Although, I mean, again, I mean, yeah. and, and like I said, I mean, and the party may have some reckoning to do, because like I said, uh, abortion has been a loser uh, of an issue. And I say this as somebody who is... Uh, again, the quintessential, you know, good Roman Catholic, whatever, and I have my own views on this, And uh, but if I take my views of, of right and wrong and what I'd like to see versus something being a political thing, I'd like to see the Republicans get to a place where, again, I, I want to see innocent human life preserved uh, as much as humanly possible. Uh, again, in order to save life, you have to be able to have policies in there where you can get elected on stuff, so... That's a thing where and, the marketing of it, I think, is what they have to do. The marketing is my well, biggest Well, the other problem. thing the Democrats have on this is, let's say you have no, you know, if you, that road disappears. Well, guess what? You're going to have to have more government funding because if you want to have life, you have to be able to support life. And that means more taxpayer expenditures. Yes. That doesn't exactly go over well with most of the GOP folks I know. But that's, that's part of the, to me, that leaves you pretty vulnerable on that issue. That's true. That's true. But... In looking at it here, is are you getting the sense that we are heading right now for bump, uh, Biden versus Trump 2.0? I mean, that's the well, that would be the general. Maybe there. Maybe this is like wrestling. Maybe that's what all this is about. Kind of all these court cases and whatnot. It mm-hmm. kind of freezes the fields on both sides. Yeah. Nobody talks about anybody else, and you know what? I mean, I wonder if we're all being played. Well, in, in terms of Trump's ability to get the nomination, it works in his favor. Biden wants him to get the nomination, or like you said before, my, I guess maybe it blows up my conspiracy theory because DeSantis getting the nomination works just as well because you know Trump's going to get in to be a spoiler, and as a matter of fact, it might be more advantageous in that way for DeSantis to get the nomination because it would be a three-way race, but uh, it would be interesting to see once and for all what that would do to Trump's hold on his base because if, if DeSantis gets the nomination... Could he sell enough of these people on the notion that DeSantis is just as bad as Biden? Because that's what he'd have to make them believe. Because it's a thing where there has been a hardening against Biden. And that's one of the things, you didn't have it as much in 2020. Because, like, you know, just culturally, like from talk radio and whatever, right? there, there wasn't all that. But, you know, Biden being in there and now these policies getting implemented and everything like that, like, Biden has gotten to the devil place with even ma- mainstream Republicans the way that Obama and Clinton had gotten. He's caught up well, to Well, that would have happened anyway, just uh, I think through the course of time. Sure. Honestly, you look, if you go back, you think about George W. Bush, you really, you know, I think most Democrats would say compared to Trump, George W. Bush was the same, but I, hey, they would tear him apart the same way as time went on. So, you know what, I think this comes with the territory. Yeah, well, time is a flat circle, as they say, and... Uh, you know, in looking at that, I think we are headed for a rematch next time, and uh, I would guess probably the same result because it's a thing. Probably, because probably. Also, the incumbent has an advantage. Uh, the only thing I will say that may have hurt Democrats a little bit in twenty, maybe even so much in, but certainly in twenty twenty, we were talking about the congressional races. People forget, you know, Democrats didn't really campaign because of the whole COVID. It was it went against their image. Well, you know, we, we don't want to be out there. They were almost like too afraid, and it actually hurt them. Uh, that won't, that wasn't the case in 22 as much. It certainly won't be the case in 2024, Lord willing, that we don't have any relapses here. Well, yeah. I mean, that would just be uh, too horrible to contemplate. But this is one of these things yep. where it, it's interesting that, you know, and I, I say this, I mean, going back to our roots in 2007 as a show that spun off of FantasyDraftHelp.com and taking the sports approach of analysis and approaching it to, again, nothing is off topic going in all areas, I find myself reverting back as we have the NBA playoffs coming up, the NHL playoffs, to looking at things as far as matchups go. Like, ultimately, Hillary Clinton is the only person that Donald Trump could have beaten to become president. And no one Tr- argues against that. Absolutely yeah. true. And Donald Trump is the only person Joe Biden could have beaten to become president. Who ever envisioned Joe Biden as a future president of the United States? Are you kidding me? He was in the right place at the right time running against Trump. So it's one of these things of looking at each other here of, again, we have sort of forgotten in this country what it's like to even have somebody who is a transcendent enough political talent 
to where they could get uh, they they could beat different talent. So again, I mean, I I, I do look at Obama and uh, McCain. I think was was pretty formidable. Mitt Romney was a tomato can. So it's a thing where I guess you know you look back in history and maybe some of these other the, the quality of opposition wasn't as great as it might seem now. But it's like. You, you have two feeble old guys here where, uh, unfortunately for Trump, he's the feeble old guy who can't beat the other one. I mean, he's literally the only guy. He's also the likability. You know, as you point out, Joe comes off as the likable grandpa. Trump goes off as the mean guy. And uh, that, that doesn't help either. Which, uh, I mean, you know, the old we say the old who'd you rather have a beer with? Biden comes off better in that regard. He, he does. And as far as like the affability and everything like that, I mean, that is, you know, a, a remarkable thing to have pulled off when you consider uh, that uh, some of the things that are out there as, as far as, uh, you know, Biden's general uh, creepiness documented and uh, less documented with women and everything like that. So it's, it's remarkable. I mean, but, but again, I mean... Well, that's true. But you know what? Democrats learned a lesson. Me Too only works against them and never for them. That's why that's... That's why that didn't become as much of an issue. I think Al Franken took one for the team there. I got, there's a lot of Al Franken regret among Democrats, and they weren't going to do it to their own after that. that I, that's just my vibe. You don't hear anything about Me Too anymore. Isn't that kind of disappeared? Yeah, well, I, I actually think uh, Democrats learned the lesson of Al Franken not to go after that, because like I said, again, uh, Democrats have tried to play down any of that kind of stuff with Joe Biden, and I think successfully so. None of that stuff has really stuck to him, so... I think it, they, it hasn't, but I also want to say, again, for, I don't know if it's Democrats who have gotten smarter, because I'm not a big fan of their leadership, as you know, uh, not a big fan of Jamie Harris and what he's done, I don't think he's done much, <clears throat> but the one area where Republicans have done a lot better than Democrats is appealing to men, not just working class, just men yeah. in general. Yes. Democrats have never learned how to appeal to men, and when they went, you know, all on the Me Too stuff, that was a big turnoff to men. And I don't think it really won over as many women. You know, if you talk about a net effect, that was not a smart play for them. Yeah, and that's uh, that's an interesting point. Uh, you, you may very well be right on that. But, uh, uh, again, it is uh, an absolute, make no mistake about it, uh, you know, absolute execrable hellscape that uh, dominates our politics going through the 2024 presidential election. But you can always count on this show on getting the kind of uh, good analysis and witticisms, particularly when we have you with us here, Lloyd Carroll of the Queen Chronicle, Lloyd Carroll, FDH Lounge, Dignitary Extraordinaire. Always a pleasure, my friend, and uh, as things continue to circle down the drain for this country, irretrievably perhaps, at least we'll get to laugh about it with you as we go along, and I do look forward but to that's that. that's part of it. We need to laugh, Rick. Yes. That's what I love about, you know, we get together and live on your show, and I think we need more of that in politics. We, we've lost the art of being able to laugh at our team, the other, we all laugh at the other team. Nobody, you know, sometimes we need to laugh at our own side and yes. call our own side out. And we, it, until we do that in politics, you're right, this country will go down the drain. Yes, yes, and that's been happening, but uh, that's always been my way of coping with things here. Uh, laughter is the best medicine, and uh, like I said, again, uh, the, the, the combination of uh, witticisms and analysis, you can't beat it when we got you on here with us. Thank you so much, Lloyd. Appreciate Look forward it. to doing it again, Rick. Uh, and maybe we'll even start getting back into the sports and the TV. Yes. So anytime you need me, you know, I'm there for you. I look forward to that. Yes, yes. You are uh, the quintessential. On a show like this where nothing is off topic, you are one of several Swiss Army knives that we have of where you can go any different direction on any things here, uh, whether it be a more substantive topic that we're talking about tonight or something a little bit lighter. You're always good for that, and it's always much appreciated. Love to have you here, Lloyd, and thank you, everybody, for checking out FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1606.